Thank you for being here. Robin and I are blessed that you've come to walk out the final year with us on this Sunday. I have prayed fervently of what to share with you on the TV is what God dropped in my heart. But it's not, it's not a sermon. Uh, I, I wanted to impart something that to me was life-changing. And so what, and you know, try not to joke about it, but what I'm going to try to share with you in 30 to 40 minutes, I've worked out over the last 30 years. It started in 1985. I was two years out of high school. Dad and mom were pastoring in Statesboro, Georgia. I was plugged into the church, going to school full time, working at the church as much as I could. And we had a college ministry. And the college ministry had a Friday night. I wish I could remember the guy's name. I cannot remember it. But it, we were all just kind of, you know, hanging out together, chatting. So there were college kids that were part of the church, and there were college kids that were part of the university. The, the campus was right across the street. So there were a lot of new faces. And I mingled my way back into the back corner. It could seat about 700 people in the church. And I went to the back corner where a group of guys were talking. They were having a conversation. And their conversation was around the sovereignty of God, which was over my head. I was Pentecostal. I never thought sovereignty and what does this mean? And I, I jump in the middle of it, and this is what the guy says. He says, God is sovereign. And God determines who goes to heaven, and God determines who goes to hell. God already knows who's going to choose Him. He said, we just have to come to a place to know that God's in control of all. There's nothing we can do about it. And I kind of like that, like, okay, yeah, he is creator, he's in charge of all, but wait a minute, he picks and chooses, he, and this, this thought of the sovereignty of God, like, how, how, what do you mean? How much power does he have? What does he do? What, and I begin to think, am I, am I, am I just at the mercy of God? Like, whatever God wants, he's going to do, like, I have no input at all, whatever God wants to choose, like He's already chosen whether I'll go to heaven or hell, whether I want to choose that or not. Do I not have a free will? The guy says, no, you don't have a free will. It's God's will. And so I'm, what, 19 years old, and my mind is flipped, and I, I start realizing, I don't, God, well, I thought this God loved people, and you, you would think I would just move on, but it put a seed, and I just began to question. So I, it started debates. I started debating with people, what do you believe about God? And I ended up going to seminary about four years later, and I, lo and behold, find out people believe in the rapture. People don't believe in the rapture. People believe in speaking in tongues. They don't believe in speaking in tongues. They, you can have women preachers. You can't have women preachers. Uh, Jesus is coming back, and Jesus may not come back. I mean, it was just all over and my little Pentecostal brain that was raised to just believe whatever was preached from the pulpit and don't really question it, suddenly there's just a myriad of questions about God. Who is God? Who is Jesus? Is the Bible real? Is the King James Bible the real Bible? What about the other versions? What about the rapture? What about women? What about ministry? What about denominations? My little brain is just... You know, read a book. There was no YouTube back then, no Google. So you just had to find whatever conversation you could have with people. And then in 1996, at 31, Robin and I started pastoring. And things changed when I started pastoring because I quit wrestling with people and what people believed. And I started wrestling with me and God. 
Because I would read things in the Bible, but what I would read in the Bible did not reflect the reality of what I lived. I would read things like Jesus is a healer, but then I would pray for healing and the person would die. And I would think, well, that doesn't make sense if he's a healer. And I would read that God answers prayer and I would pray prayers that never got answered, that God could fix a marriage, but the marriage didn't get fixed. And so this sovereignty of God, that God's just going to do what God's going to do, so just deal with it. God may heal you, He may not. That Literally, people believe that. If you're sick, it might be the will of God. So your sickness could be God's will. Just deal with it. Just suck it up and live life. And there's other people, no, it's not God's will. The sovereignty of God, how big is God? Is God messing with us? Is God part of this big scheme? Does God have a, as we would say, a divine plan that He's working? Whether you like His plan or not, He's working His plan. As a matter of fact, it's such a big plan, He didn't even ask your opinion before He created you. He just created humans and never said, would y'all like to vote? You just showed up. And then when He decided to just kill the whole world, He didn't take a vote. Look, I'm thinking about nuking all of you. Let's take a vote. How do y'all want to die? Do you want to die with an earthquake or a flood? I'd like a flood. All right, we got vote for a flood. He didn't care. He didn't ask your opinion. He just killed you. He saved eight of us. Praise God, you're here today because of them. But is God really, is He in charge or is He not in charge? And if He is, how much is He in charge? Like, can He really change the red lights to get you to work on time? Is he that in charge that he could take the red light and you go, God, just I need a green, I need a green, come on green. And God's in heaven with his divine plan going, oh, I got a green light down there. And he snaps his finger and the light turns green and then you praise him. Oh, thank you, God of the green lights. I just got a post about how powerful he is. I hit all the green lights. Is that God? Is it luck? What is it? Does he even care about green lights in traffic? Lord, just help me not hit any traffic. Don't let there be any wrecks on the way home on 285. I know it's hell, but let me just survive this. So as God had this divine plan and then you pray that prayer and then he stops and goes, all right, let me, I'm, I'm real busy in the Middle East right now, but hang on a minute. I got to go take care of traffic on 285. And so God's just manipulating all the cars on 285. So you who prayed could get home in time. And if he gets you there, you praise him. But if he doesn't, you're middle fingering people and mad. And where is he when I needed him? And then you throw your hip out. And somebody says, well, you can pray and God will heal you. So you pray, but your hip still hurts. And then somebody says, well, you should just go to the gym because the reason your hip hurts, you're too fat. Lose weight. It's not about God. It's about you. Okay, is it God? Is it me? Is he going to heal me? And so what I've come to believe about the sovereignty of God was not a sermon. It's Mark wrestling. If you're a healer, why are people dying? And if you're so sovereign, then where are you when I need you? And it's, it's kind of like a Jacob thing where you quit wrestling with all the opinions of life and you go to the throne of God and you wrestle with Him. And you, you have thoughts of, I, I feel like I'm down here working for you. It'd be nice if you would work for me. I've even made the joke of when I told God, it'd be nice if you hook a brother up. Because I feel like I'm really giving you all I got. I'd like just a, a half of attention to help me out. Because I said that to him. Sovereignty of God.
Now, so you know it's not just Mark, this a preacher, this subject of how much of God is in control of you and how much of God is not in control of you and how much of God is He manipulating the chess pieces of the world. Because if we really get down to it, God even says this in, D- in Daniel 2. He said, I'm the one setting up who's in government. You think you're voting for who's going to be in the White House next year? I'm the one in charge of my planet. I raise up who I want and I put down who I want. Well, then I could go, well, then I ain't voting because God's going to do what He's going to do anyway. And then God's like, yeah, I need you to vote so I can do what I do. So it becomes this really weird thing. Does God need me in this or does He not need me in this? Does He need me to be involved to vote or is He going to put whoever's... And I hear people say that, well, whoever's going to get in is God. Ain't no reason for me to vote. God's going to... So there are people who believe that God's just working a divine chess game and you're just on the board, suck it up and deal with it and hope you get a good life. So you wrestle it out. You wrestle it out when you have to bury people who are sick, but you told them God was a healer. You have to wrestle it out when you tell the wife, hang in there, honey, God will heal him. God will restore your marriage, but he runs off with another woman anyway. And you you have to explain well, I thought you said, and he said, and just so you know, it's not me. It's all through the Bible. Here's Job. Somebody told me I should do a series on him, so maybe one day. Now, here's the thought of Job. His family's gone. His kids are gone. His business is gone. His health is gone. And all of his friends are helping him wrestle with God. Why has this happened to you? Why this hell? If God, then why? Where's God trying to figure it out? Chapter 38, four chapters. If you want to go out reading a great story, you could read 38 through 42 tonight and go out with y'all. However, this comes on the heels of Job wrestling with God. And this is what it says. And the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind, Who is this that questions my wisdom? with such ignorant words. In redneck, God's like, dude, you're just stupid. Here you are for 37 chapters whining to me, and I just want to go ahead and tell you something, you're just an idiot. You question my wisdom. Now, anytime God questions us, it gets ugly. When I question Him, where are you? Why didn't you heal me? Why didn't you bless me? Why didn't you fix me? It's easy. But when the tables turn and God's like, okay, sit down a minute. I got some questions I need to ask you. It cuts to the core. He says, this is God. Brace yourself like a man because I've got some questions for you and I need you to answer them. And if you go read those two chapters, God goes into this eloquent uh, description of His power. He says this in one of them, Where were you when I laid the foundations of the world? Tell me if you know so much. In other words, you think you're brilliant as a human. You're not as smart as you think you are. You weren't even here when I laid the foundations of the earth. And then that's just the beginning. Because he goes on two chapters of, of do you know where I keep the snow? And I'm like, oh, that's easy. The snow's in the clouds and it rains, it gets cold, it snows. Not according to God. He says, I keep it in a storehouse. What? 
God says, I have all the snow of the world in a, in a storehouse. I keep, that's weird. Like, go get me a buggy of snow. We're going to let it snow in Georgia. And God asked these, he goes into chapter 39 talking about dragons and all of the animals. And do you, do you know when the lioness bursts on the field? Do you know when, when, when the deer calls out to me? And the answer over and over and over is, I'm ignorant when I compare myself to your wisdom. But the problem with that is that humans can get really ticked off at that God when that God doesn't perform for them. And so there's this battle of the sovereignty of God to this man that's hurting. He goes on to say, so Job replied to the Lord, and this is the ticket. I know that you can do anything and no one could stop you. That's the sovereignty of God. God can do anything He wants and you can't stop Him. It doesn't matter how much we try to stop Him from coming back, He's coming back. You can just sit there and go, I rebuke you. You will not come. And he's like, yeah, okay, stupid, I'm coming. I don't believe in flying horses. Okay, mine flies, so get over it. So it's easy as a human to criticize it, but Job says, I've come to this, you can do anything, and not a human can stop you. That's the sovereignty of God. God can do anything, and a human can't stop it. He goes on to say, you asked, and he goes back to the question, that questions my wisdom with such ignorance, and Job answers it. He said, well, it was me. I was the one talking about things I didn't know anything about that were too, just too wonderful for me. And in that comes this problem of humanity where we try to understand God in relationship to our pain. We try to understand Him in relationship to our suffering. If my marriage is broken, I want to understand Him as a marriage fixer. And if He fixes it, I can praise Him. Now, Paul picks it up as well. Paul picks it up in Romans 9, same thought, but he, he takes a quote that God says about himself. Are we saying, verse 14, that God's unfair? Of course not, for God said to Moses. Now, now this is strange. Paul quotes God. This is God speaking in the green. I'll show mercy to anyone I choose, and I'll show compassion to anyone I choose. And so Paul deduces, well, see, it's God who decides to show mercy and we can neither choose it or work for it. He himself lends that God's doing things, whether you like it or not, whether you want it or not, whether you choose it, God has this beautiful divine plan and he's working that divine plan, whether you're in it or not in it, he's just working a divine plan. And we little humans just get shoved into this cosmic chess game where demons and devils and preachers and prayers are all trying to manipulate what move God is going to make next. The sovereignty of God is He's just moving. Whether you pray or not, His chess pieces are moving. If you die today, His pieces keep moving. He's sovereign. He does what He wants to do. And He doesn't need our opinion or approval. He's not on an ego trip. He didn't heal you so you could post on Facebook so he could feel better about himself. It's like I was struggling today until she posted that I was a healer. And now I feel better. 
He's not struggling with his character. But we humans like to think that, that, you know, maybe he gives us a morsel of his power or he favors some and he doesn't favor others. Now, to show you this is not just a Bible preacher Christian thing, there is a, you've got to be old to know him. There was a comedian by the name of George Carlin. Anybody remember him? Good, he's very spiritual. Uses a lot of spiritual language of the other kingdom. But his language is spiritual. One of his bits, funny, I don't encourage you to listen, but if you do, you'll laugh or be offended, either or, or acceptable. In his bit of comedy, he picks on religion, God, and Jesus quite regularly, makes fun of it. He makes fun of the divine God with a divine plan and these little people who believe in Jesus who think, this is his bit, who think that if they pray, they could shift his divine plan. And how meager that must be to think, and this is his quote, I quote from one of his comedy specials, what's the use of being God? If every rundown schmuck with a $2 prayer book can come along and mess up your divine plan. And everybody in the building, ha 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 ha. Because it is comical. If you're God and you're working a divine plan, but Shiloh throws a prayer up and God stops his divine plan to answer Shiloh's prayer, that's great. And we go, God answered Shiloh's prayer. But if you saw Bruce Almighty, there's nine million Shilohs praying the prayer. So can you imagine God, if He slept, He wakes up on a Monday morning and He gets ready to do His divine plan, but His divine plan is messed up with six billion people who have their plan. Asking Him to bless their plan. So now I've got God going, well, I better, I better get Mark to work on time and his kids got a head cold. That's just my family. His dog's psychotic. I gotta bless his dog. His dog, this dog ate a diaper. I better bless that dog. Mark's got a crooked eye. I better bless his eye. That's just my family. I could keep God busy for months. I live with all women, God. Peace in the home. He needs peace in the home. Let's get him another dog. No. But I think he's fair. Like, is that how it works? All us humans are throwing our prayers, messing His plan up. So it is a thought that has to be, where does the sovereignty of God's plan merge with, but I have a problem. Does He care about it? Now the problem here, and this is what I said, I hope what I share will help change you and take you somewhere deeper with your walk with Him. There was a short period of my Christianity where I became a skeptic. I was still preaching, but I was kind of a skeptical preacher. Because I had prayed for things that didn't get answered. I had asked God to heal people that did not get healed. I had asked God for things in my own family and life that He did not answer. So even though I still preached He was a healer and could answer prayers and would, I had this Jacob wrestling of, I know the Bible says it, but the reality of it's not for me. Because I don't see it many times. As George Carlin says in that same comedy bit, he said, I just decided to pray to Joe Pesci because it's 50-50 to pray to Joe because he can get just as much done as God. And everybody laughs again. 
He said, no, really, I can pray to God and I can pray to Joe Pesci and I get the same outcome. Meaning that good luck is just what life is. Some of you get lucky, some of you don't. So Mark, who loves God, is, I told you for 30 years I wrestled it out. Like, what do I believe about you in this thing? Are you sovereign and do you care? And if you do, who wins? Who, who are the ones getting it? Who does get it? Who doesn't? Do you predetermine who gets healed and who dies? Do you, like, you know those things, right? Like, now, as I'm wrestling with that, something happens that I think only God can do is that you come across something where God taps you on the shoulder and says, you need to think about this. And what I thought about, I'm going to tell you the story, you'll know it, but then I want to read it and we'll, I'll let you go home. The story, if you're a Christian, is very familiar, but it was the story that changed my life. It was the story that made Mark stop being a skeptic and look inward and think, I, I need to look at his wisdom differently. It's in Mark 5 and Luke 14. Both are the same story told from different perspectives. I'll pick a little of both of those. The story is that Jesus is God in the flesh. He comes and Jesus Himself lends a little bit that God is sovereign. Because Jesus Himself will say, I can only do what Dad lets me do. I can't do me. I have to do His plan. Not my will, His will. Although there is a little bit of weight, you have a will, but there is His will. But you see, Jesus, Jesus just can't walk around and go, boo, and things happen. He literally tells people, I can only do what the Father I've seen Him do. And what He says, that's all I can do. I can't just respond to every pity party. I can only do what God... I get that. I understand that sounds so romantic. I got that. But there's a story that messes that up that every time I read it, I cried first service, so maybe I've got the tears out and I won't do it this service, but every time I read it, I cry. Because at 58, I read it and I can feel it. I read it, and when I read it, as much as I love Jesus, I have this overwhelming thought, I wish I had that kind of faith. I wish I had that kind of thing. And then I usually cried out a while and then I, I tell him I love him and I move on to another story in the Bible. But the story in Mark 5, Jesus is doing his Jesus stuff. And everybody's buzzing around town. Everybody's like, oh, Jesus is in town. He's so incredible. And the crowds are jonesing about him. And Now in the story, he's on his way to heal a kid a man went to him and said, look, I really need your help. My kid's dying. I need you to come to my house and go heal my kid. Jesus obliges. He said, okay, I'll go. Let's go. So they're, they're walking down the road and they're going to a house to pray for this man's daughter who's dying. And Jesus is obliged and he's going. And the story's incredible. You're like, yeah, this is great. So everybody's buzzing, watching this God, man, human, maybe Messiah Definitely prophet, miracle worker, walking down the road. And in the story, there is this addendum that I think if, if for no other reason, sometimes I think maybe he put it there for me. 
I know that sounds very egotistical, but sometimes I think God loves us so much that He puts a story in the Bible that just touches you. It's like, that's the one I needed. I needed that one right there. That's the one I needed to hold on to to give me hope. And yes, it's at the right time. You just So here's this kid from 19 that's been struggling with God's sovereignty and God does what he does. And then I, I say mistake. I, I read Mark 5. And what I read is there's a woman. We don't know her name. We're never told her name. We don't know what she does for a living. All we know is for 12 years she's been bleeding. She's wasted all of her money trying to get well. She's kept over in the corner because uh, religion says you're impure. If you touch people, we'll stone you. She's an outcast. Nobody knows her name. And the story goes that she stirs herself and she says to herself, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, golly, I will be made well. And so the story goes, she presses through the crowd, which sounds not that romantic, but if you could only picture a woman who spent every dime, she's probably been told it's just God's will for you to be sick. If God loved you, He would have already healed you. You're probably in sin, that's why you're sick. Maybe it was a Job thing. Maybe you're sick because of some sin. Maybe, maybe some genetic fault. It's genetics. Just deal with it. It's genetics. You, you just learn to live with it. I don't know what she was told. I only can imagine 12 years of trying the next doctor, the next doctor, the next doctor, the next doctor, and it's just bad news after bad news. So I imagine she's not that high on her emotional health. I don't know many people that can take bad news 12 years in a row. I can take maybe bad news for a week, but come on, we Americans, 12 years of it? 12 years of bad news, 12 years nothing works, 12 years just deal with it, 12 years maybe this is God's will, 12 years if God loved you, He would have already healed you, 12 years is probably some sin, you should repent. I don't know, but she dusts herself off and that day said, if I could just touch that man's garment, I will be well. Now what we know is that she didn't have anybody in agreement with her. There was no prayer partner. There was no prophet prophesying. She just stirred her own self up. And here's, here's the kicker. Do you remember what Job said? Job said, I know you can do anything and no, no human can stop you. I like that. Sovereign. But this story, she presses through the crowd. I don't know what's going. They're buzzing. They're walking down the street. And all of a sudden, she grabs the hem of his garment. And immediately, the story says she's healed. But something weird happens. It's beyond the sovereignty of God. It's, it's beyond the moment. Because the Bible says the moment she touched him, he stopped. Oh, wait a minute. I thought you said no human could stop God. I thought you said you did whatever you had planned to do. So think this through. This woman was not on his Google calendar that day. He did not know her. There was nobody going, hey, could you come over there and pray for her? My aunt is over there. She's real sick. She could really use your help. Nobody's going to bat for the lady. She's not even in his mind. 
He's not even thinking about her. That's religion. See, if he loved you, he would at least think about you. He's not even thinking about her. That's the sovereignty of God. He's on a mission. He's going to die for the world. You're not on his plate right now. And if you're not careful, you will become a skeptic religionist because you'll sit there and say, if he loved me, he would turn and come to me. But she didn't care what he thought. She didn't care if he had a sovereign plan. She got up, grabbed a hold, and it stopped him dead in his tracks. And when a human being can stop the plan of God dead in his tracks, that's what I mean by I wish I had that kind of faith. That God woke up and thought, I got something I got to go do in California. And an angel taps him and says, uh, Mark's down there. He's calling out to you. He needs you to do a detour and go do something. And God's like, okay, let's go do it. My man, if I had that kind of faith, if I, if I had the faith beyond a skeptic, if I had the faith beyond some religious zealot, if I had the faith that wouldn't have excuses, If I had the faith that didn't say, well, I tried. I've already reached out once. I called out to him and he didn't listen. All the reasons of why I'm still sick. And he stops dead in his tracks. And when he stops, here's what's weird. He stops and says, who touched me? (laughs) Now they're freaking out. They're like, it wasn't me. Because they're probably thinking he's ticked. So everybody denies it. It wasn't me. I didn't touch him. And then Peter says what anybody would say. Everybody's touching you. What do you mean who touched you? And he says of himself, I felt power go out of me. I felt power go out of me. That meant... He didn't wake up and have on his agenda today at 12.05, power will leave me. I need to make sure that I have that power leave me at 12.05. It's not even on his calendar. There's no on his calendar, 12.05, woman with the issue of blood will casually bump into me. Her name is Becky. Nothing. It's not even on his earthly mind. He's also God. Obviously not on his divine mind. Because he's going to Jairus' house and a woman who has every, I don't know who this is for, has every right to sit in a corner and just mope. Who has every right to say, why me? Who has every right to say, I didn't deserve this life? Who has every right to say, why my kid? Who has every right to say, another doctor? who has every right to say, I've tried and tried and tried, nothing, nothing. She has every right to just sit there in her and wallow in the sovereignty of God. If He loved me, He would come to me. If He loved me, He would have healed me by now. If He loved me, He would have. She dusted herself off. And for one brief moment, we see that the sovereignty of God can be pulled on by the faith of a human. Oh, man. And a human being's faith can pull on the power of God. And you may say, well, I pulled and nothing happened. Honey, keep pulling. Keep pulling. Don't, don't, let, don't, don't let some excuse hold on to you. Well, I pulled and nothing changed. Keep pulling on His power. Don't you ever quit pulling on His power. Dust yourself off. 
And yet, while the religious world is very good just to walk down the street with Him and be religious. And it tells me this, the sovereignty of God is real. You cannot stop His godness. It's going down the street. It's headed to Jairus' house, and you can't do a thing about it. But there are some people, there are some people in the kingdom of God that will say, wait a minute, I am going to reach out to you and I'm going to ask you to turn this way because I'm going to seek you. And in my seeking, watch, I'm going to pull on his power. Power that he wasn't even going to let go of. Power that everybody's touching him. But one woman said, I'm going to pull on his power. See, if you're not careful, you'll let the sovereignty of God cause you to stop pulling on his power. Well, it is what it is. Whatever he wants to do, he's going to do. Whatever he wants. No, no, no. That's everybody walking down the road with him. Oh, glory to God. One woman's like, I don't know. But when I touch him, you better back up because it's going to stop in his tracks. We'll stop it. Now, now watch this. Know this. This is, this is powerful about the sovereignty of God. He did not stop because of pity. If he stopped because of pity, everybody in the room would pull on his power. And a lot of people think, if I could just have a pity party, oh, this is so hard. Oh, God, this is a hellhole this week. I just can't go any further, Lord. And we think that pity is going to make him go, okay, here's a little power. I feel so sorry for you. It'd be the whole planet. The whole planet throws a pity party. It's faith that, that caused the power to leave him. It's not you posting how bad your week has been. And all of a sudden an angel goes, Hey, <laughs> I just read Mark's post. Ooh, he's upset. Hey, you hadn't showed up. I just think you may want to stop heaven for a minute and answer that so he can have a repost. And God's like, Yeah, he's down there talking bad about me. I better... Right? You think that's the way it goes? You think He answers your prayer because you had a bad day? It's faith. And if you're not careful, you will trade faith for skepticism. You will trade faith for excuses. You will trade faith for the reality I already live in. And you'll just become one of the crowd that follows the sovereignty of God, hoping you get a nugget of His grace as He passes by. Here's the story. My thought is this. When trying to understand God's sovereignty, it's easy to rationalize. It is what it is. If God wants to, He will. And I present to you true. But there are some people that will stop Him dead in His tracks and He will do it because of your faith. He will honor your faith. Here's the story. I'll read it. It reads better than I can preach it. Mark 5, a woman in the crowd had suffered 12 years with constant bleeding and she had suffered a great deal from many doctors and over the years she spent everything she had to pay them. But she had gotten no better. In fact, she had even gotten worse. You see, we could stop here and have an entire series on where's God when I need Him most? If He's God, why is my life getting worse? 
If He's God, why is my marriage worse? If He's God, why do my kids keep going in rebellion? Because if He's God, my life should be getting better and not worse. It goes on to say, she had heard about Jesus, so she came up behind Him through the crowd and she touched His robe. For she thought to herself, if I can just touch His robe, I will be healed. Immediately the bleeding stopped and she could feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. Here's where it gets really interesting. When I read this years ago, this is what I meant. My life changed because I saw something about the sovereignty of God that I never reconciled, and it was this. Who touched me? Everybody denied it. And Peter said, Master, the whole crowd is pressing in against you. That's the mark. That's the sovereignty of God. I love Him. He's God. Good luck if you get it. Just walk with Him down the road. Be near Him. But then this. But Jesus said, Someone deliberately touched me. For I felt healing power go out of me. Oh, and this is... Man, this is the text I read and I think, I don't know if I got that kind of faith. Like, I want that kind of faith. I want the faith that just quits making excuses and quits looking at doctor reports and quits believing opinions of people and quits listening to the lies in my own head and quits being so skeptical about God and quit accusing God. I want the faith that just reaches out and trust Him even when I've got every reason not to trust Him. I want that kind of faith. And Jesus said, when the woman realized she couldn't stay hidden, she began to tremble. She fell at her knees in front of Him. The whole crowd heard her explain why she had touched Him and that she had been immediately healed. Oh, come on, somebody. Ain't no better way to end your year than right here. Daughter. Here's the weird thing. He doesn't even know her name. You could have easily said, now, if you're sovereign, don't you know my name? I mean, come on, call my name here. She didn't care. Daughter? I said, your faith has made you well. Can you grasp that for a moment? The sovereignty of God is heading to Jairus' house, but your faith stopped me dead in my tracks and you pulled on my power and you got a reward that wasn't even going to come off of me, but the reward came off of me because of your faith. Can you, can you fathom that? Can you fathom that there are things that are resident within the life of Jesus Christ that are rewards that have your potential on them, but you never call upon the reward because you're a skeptic, excuse-ridden religious person? You're tired of praying. You're tired of believing. If He's God, He would have done it by now. Versus your faith made you well. He didn't say, look, I felt sorry for you. Somebody told me your story. Oh, your story's pitiful. Twelve years? Honey, I'm so sorry. I should have come ten years ago, but I've been busy. Like, he didn't even ask this backstory. He didn't say, I healed you because you're a woman with no husband and nobody likes you. He said, I wasn't even, listen, here's my take. Honey, I wasn't even thinking about you today. I don't even know your name or who you are or your problem. But I can assure you what just left my body of power was your faith. Now go and live in peace. If I could say this ending 2023, there's no better place to live than in these three words. Go in peace.
Now there's two ways. There's two ways to look at that. Go in peace. He's God. He'll do whatever He's going to do. Or go in peace. He's God. He's going to do whatever He's going to do. But I'm going to seek Him and I'm going to pull on some reward and I'm going to pull on some power because I'm not going to come some washed up skeptic that questions everything He does. I'm going to, now here's where it gets very interesting. And this is where I have to stir myself and go, I want to be this. Hebrews chapter 6, 11, verse 6. It's impossible to please God without faith. And anyone, that's the bleeding woman, anyone, that's you too. So don't just go, now Mark, that was just back then. That was Bible days. That's when Jesus walked the earth. Anybody, that should be me and you too, who wants to come to Him must believe that God exists. She did. And that He rewards. She believed that because she's, if I can touch Him, I'll get it. But I reward those not who I have pity for. I reward those who diligently seek me. Now here's my take of where I struggle to, to... I don't want to get to heaven. This is me. And I go and I see Jesus. He's like, yo, been waiting on you. I'm like, oh God, thanks. Let me stay down there a while with those dogs and family. Glad to see you. He says, come here. And he takes me over to a back corner. Shows me a big warehouse. I said, what's that? Is that my mansion? He goes, no, that's not your mansion. I said, okay, good. Because that's huge. No, Mark, that's all the rewards that I had for you that you never pulled on me. I had all of that for you, son. But you became a skeptic on earth. And you quit seeking me diligently. You started debating and criticizing. You started trying to understand whys. And you quit pulling on me, Mark. You quit diligently seeking me, Mark. Don't want well, watch this. I have rewards for you if you seek me. Now here's the thought I'll end. I'm going to ask the band to come. Think this through for a moment. If I said to you, what does it mean to seek God? Everybody in the room is going to have what we think. Pray, fast, read your Bible, go to church, tithe. Look at it from the woman in the corner that's bleeding to death. What does it mean to seek Him? Number one, you got to quit making excuses. Because as long as you have excuses, you won't come down the road. Number two, you got to quit being a skeptic saying, I've tried before and nothing has happened. She had 12 years of that. So to diligently seek has to start with, I'm done making excuses. I'm done saying I've tried before, it's no use. She got up. And as she began to seek Him, she started thinking differently. Because in her thinking, instead of, poor pitiful me, I've just been with this for 12 years, I sure hope it works, she started thinking, if I could touch Him, I'll be well. So there's an aspect of seeking Him, how you think has to start changing. Because if you don't change how you think, you come as a little victim. I just hope I can get this. And you become one of the crowd that never gets anything. So she started thinking. And she said to herself, if I could but touch Him. So to diligently seek Him means you start speaking what is true before it's ever true. Right? Before it's ever true, I'm just going to talk like it, act like it, think like it, walk like it, and she's still bleeding. 
So there's an aspect of faith where you talk like it, act like it, think like it, walk like it, and you have zero proof. You're still a bleeding woman, but you've eliminated excuses, you've eliminated criticism and skepticism, and you have zero proof. The only proof you have is I trust that if I touch him, I'm well. So I say a lot of times we don't do well in that seeking. I don't want to eliminate excuses and skepticisms and I want proof before I ever touch Him. I don't want to press through all the problems. Here's my thought. And then I'm going to ask you to think about it because I purposely wrote this so you couldn't answer yes or no. What's hindering you from deliberately seeking Him in faith? Bow your heads if you will. What's hindering you? Is it the thought, well, I've already prayed and nothing's happened? Is it the thought, I've been praying and praying and praying and praying and nothing's changing? Is it the thought, well, if He wanted to heal me by now, He would have already done it? Is it the skepticism that I've prayed, nothing ever happens for me, I just, I just don't want to go to hell and I love Him and... Is it people's opinions? Is that what stops you from diligently seeking Him? Has, has religion let you down? Is it doctor reports? Is it, is it the medical game that says this is wrong with you and now all those voices just shout? Is that keeping you sitting in a corner? Are you tired? Mentally tired. You, you've prayed for this so long, 12 years. Oh God, I'm, I'm just worn out. Maybe you've even said, I don't know if I can go into 2024 with this. I'm just so tired. I'm so done. I need answers. I need answers. I need answers. I, here's all. I don't know who that's for. But my soul inside me aches for you. Because I know that feeling. I know the feeling that wants to give up sometime. I know the feeling that wants to say, where's God? I know that feeling that you have everybody's opinions that just rise. I know that feeling if you feel like you're working, doing everything right and nothing's changing. You're, you're doing it just like the Bible says. Nothing changes though. You, you're part of the crowd. You stay with Jesus. You worship Him. You sing to Him. But there's no power. There's no... Leon, I don't even know what to tell you itself. Will you just keep seeking Him? Because He says, if you'll seek Me, I'll reward. And, and now what that means to me is, it, is that he, he likes you to continue to come and press in and reach for Him. Why would I do that, Mark? Because you trust Him. Because He has rewards for you. Well, if you had rewards, wouldn't I have it by now? Yeah, you, you do. You're still breathing. You still have potential to reach out. You're not dead yet. Press past the hurt and the pain, the disappointment, and trust Him. So I don't know what your situation is, your suffering, your pain, your request. I don't know what your excuse is. But I felt that I was to ask you, 
Are you going to allow things to hinder you this year too? To stop you from diligently seeking Him? And today, to eliminate that in your life, dust yourself off and press into the reward. And press in to change how you think. And keep seeking Him. Wake up and seek Him. Hold on. He will reward you. Stand up with me if you will.